Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Angelica Jos, Executive Director, Global Regulatory Policy at MSD, can we develop better medicines for children faster? I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you very much for joining our conversation. So Angelica, great to have you with us. Um, in terms of better medicines for children, how well are we doing? What sort of progress have we made over the last decade? Well, Jackie, we have made a lot of progress. You know, 15 years ago, we were at a very different place when talking about availability of licensed pediatric medicines in Europe and the rest of the world. Prior to the regulation, we had only 50% of medicines that were not tested um, and developed for children. But in the past decade, the proportion of clinical research in Europe has actually increased by 50%. And we have seen exciting new treatments allowing better management and even cure of deadly diseases such as HIV, hepatitis C, or certain cancers that are also applicable in two pediatric populations. So since then, the science of pediatric R&D has evolved considerably. For example, we are allowing now new approaches that are based on data extrapolation to replace interventional research and the use of new formulation techniques that are adapted to children's physiology and taste. Um, but you know, product development is not easy and it usually takes a decade or more to perform all the necessary studies and tests to register a new product with the European Medicines Agency. So the commission reported that between 2007 and 16, there have been over 260 new products um, for use in children, which is quite amazing. But since then, even more medicines and vaccines have been authorized by the European Medicines Agency. And it would be really nice to have some updated numbers from the EMEA to show that this continued output as more and more development comes through. Sure. And, and so, uh, Angelica, you've charted some of the progress that we've made over the last decade. Um, what part do you think the paediatric regulation has played in this? The EU uh, is currently reviewing that regulation. The Commission uh, published an evaluation in August. Um, how important has it been in driving those developments generally? Um, I'm convinced that the paediatric regulation has contributed and will continue to contribute a lot to the scientific breakthroughs that are now translated into treatments for children. So it has certainly helped to um, heighten the awareness and the focus within the company's R&D organizations on pediatric needs. And it led to the creation of new organizational structures that are focusing now on the pediatric development. So for example, we have now specific pediatric development centers that are pooling pediatric expertise from across our R&D organization. And these expert pools are usually led by pediatricians and they are the center of our scientific excellence within the company to ensure that the pediatric development is seamlessly integrating into the overall development process. So a huge shift in mindset has actually happened within the industry and the pediatric development now receives significant attention during the research and development efforts. So it has made a significant difference in that, as you say, in terms of focus, in terms of mindset, uh, in terms of picking up the pace. Can you give some examples of, of specific therapeutic areas where you think it's made a difference? 
Sure, I think it has made a huge difference specifically um, in the area of pediatric oncologies because now um, pediatric uh, well companies must actually scrutinize all their development programs for use in children. And there are already indicators that specifically in oncology, it's a vibrant development area that will bring forward many new treatments in the coming years. So one can get a good sense of how much is in the development pipeline by looking at pediatric investigational plan numbers. So um, 44 PIPs have now been approved by the EMEA for pediatric oncology. Um, and these numbers actually increase every year. If you think of 2019, actually one out of five new PIPs has been for a medicine used to treat children's cancer. So this increased development activity is really also reflected in the number of ongoing clinical trials. We have 41 ongoing clinical studies in pediatric oncology, um, but the PIP and the clinical trials are just the first step for a new compound to become a treatment for children. So what happens next is actually that once the trials are finalized, the data needs to be submitted to the regulatory agency for the assessment um, and to be approved as a new indication. So let me give you a concrete example to illustrate the ongoing development complexity that we're actually facing. Um, let's take immuno-oncology, which is now a very innovative area that has contributed to recent breakthroughs in the treatment of cancer. Um, it started in 2015, so that's really not very long ago, that Keytruda was one of the first medicines that was approved for adults. It's under investigation in more than 30 types of cancers, with a thousand trials ongoing, so really a pipeline and product. Since this time, 12 indications with six different cancers have been already approved in Europe. And this is a huge number in such a short time. And embedded in this huge development program, there are also two pediatric investigational plans that are addressing um, pediatric tumors. And the first results were recently submitted to support the first pediatric indications in Europe. Okay. So really a significant advance there. Um, in terms of, of the development of medicines for children, as we look to the challenges now and what we need to do to build on that success in future, what for you uh, makes developing medicines for children particularly challenging? Well, um, it's uh, anything which makes the development faster and more predictable that will help closing the gap actually between the adult marketing authorizations and the availability of the pediatric medicines. So we need more scientific data um, on the diseases um, and on the mechanisms of actions, because the more scientific data is available to be used in pediatric development, the higher the likelihood that the development is actually successful. And the biggest hurdle for the faster development are mainly, well, first, the lack of knowledge, the limited availability of pediatric patients that are actually willing to participate in the research. Um, we're seeing competition for patient recruitment between simultaneously ongoing clinical trials. And of course, um, the lack of a big established clinical trial research infrastructure across countries and regions that can deliver robust data for regulatory use um, would be a plus. Okay, um, before we come on to how the regulation uh, might help to address those issues, I want to talk about what you're doing and what FPIR is doing in this area, because as I understand it, you're already working with a number of other stakeholders on measures really focusing on, on improving the speed and the efficiency of the development in this area. What sort of things are you focusing on? 
Yes, uh, we are working with many stakeholders on projects to better integrate the pediatric development within the R&D enterprise and make development faster. Um, some of the projects that we are focusing on are directly connected with the EMEA Pediatric Action Plan that defines five priority areas to improve the implementation of the current regulations. So FPR supports, for example, a public-private partnership under the Innovative Medicines Initiative to establish a sustainable European clinical trial infrastructure that can deliver clinical trials according to regulatory standards and with speed. It's called Connect for Children. Our experts are also supporting scientific discussions for the development of new methodologies and approaches that will optimize pediatric investigations while avoiding actually unnecessary clinical trials. So we have a lot of new approaches underway, like the use of Bayesian statistics or historical control arms in clinical trials, which are help reducing patient numbers. Um, another example is extrapolation of data from adults to pediatric patients, which can actually avoid the need for a special clinical study in children. And um, as I pointed out, the limited number of patients is really one of the key issues. And so we need to think more globally when we're developing medicines for children. That's why FPS is also a member of the International Council of Harmonization and works alongside global regulators and scientific expert groups that develop um, important guidance to introduce more harmonized standards. So that global collaboration, absolutely key to address some of those issues. Um, in terms of where we go from here, um, as I mentioned earlier, and everyone knows, the Commission has conducted this review of the paediatric uh, regulation. It's the first time it's done so, perhaps surprisingly, in the 13 years since it entered into force. It's completed its evaluation uh, and it is now considering follow-up actions. When we look at the policy framework and what it has achieved so far, for you, do you think that the regulation itself needs fixing? Are there shortcomings in the regulation uh, or are there other things that we need to do? Um, I think we believe that the implementation of the pediatric regulation can be further improved to more pragmatic measures. So we do not really favor a reopening of the legislation, but rather focus on better implementation that will have a faster impact. So many of the issues can really not be resolved by any legal changes, but are more related to a pediatric ecosystem that we need to improve together with all the stakeholders. And there are multiple bottlenecks on the scientific and on the economic front that we need to tackle. Mm. What sort of bottlenecks are you thinking of? Well, the regulation is only impacting a certain part of the pediatric medicine journey. Um, we need a much broader view and across the whole pathway to ensure that new medicines and vaccines are reaching children. So we need policies that support the creation of a thriving pediatric ecosystem, policy tools that help unblock scientific bottlenecks to enable the progress in science, specifically in areas of unidentified unmet medical needs. And that's really a multi-stakeholder exercise that needs appropriate public-private collaboration. So we need, for example, to collectively identify the unmet needs, develop common R&D roadmaps, invest more into basic research to understand the diseases and the molecular targets, and also to develop new methodologies for research in small populations. And we also may need complementary policy tools that help us unblocking the economic bottlenecks, for example, by creating favorable reimbursement conditions at national level or predictable periods for intellectual property and market protection, including also more funding for clinical trials, funding for manufacturing capacity 
and attractive business models for products with market failure medicine developments and so on. So there is a lot that can be done, but fundamentally the legislation, the regulation you say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, It works. These are much more detailed, granular issues that really need to be addressed. And presumably uh, to that end, to address those issues effectively, we need more dialogue between the industry, uh, with the commission, with the medicines agency, uh, if we are to address those issues and, and ensure that policy plays its role alongside the work that you're doing with other stakeholders you were talking about earlier. Um, Is that dialogue, how important is that dialogue going to be as we move forward? Well, I think the dialogue is is central to as we're moving forward. Um, We we really need to um, fix all these little problems and have a a thriving pediatric um, ecosystems. Many of the identified bottlenecks um, can be solved in the shorter term with better implementation of the regulation and the action plan that was actually adopted in 2018, um, which is already focusing on addressing some of the shortcomings. So if we really start now opening the legal framework around the pediatric incentives, we actually risk destabilizing this ecosystem. And this could in the future even have the opposite effect by drawing less resources into pediatrics. So there's still lots to be done um, to align better on the practical side and even catch up with the U.S., who seems to be faster in getting indications approved, as we have seen. Just finally, if I can ask you, we've discussed a number of issues and you've highlighted really some of the very impressive achievements that have been made and the benefits that have been brought to children over the last decade or so. Um, If you had to identify one priority for the future, for you personally working in this area, a priority for policymakers and maybe a priority for the industry itself to really accelerate progress, build on what we've achieved and deliver more innovative new medicines to children to meet those unmet needs. What is your personal priority for yourselves as an industry and for policymakers? Well, as I told you, um, we have adapted our R&D organizations and we have built up significant expert capabilities and knowledge about pediatric development. And of course, we are going to continue developing new medicines and vaccines for children under the pediatric regulation. So as a priority, um, we would like more interaction and technical discussions at this point with the European Medicines Agency and the Commission to make progress on the pediatric action plan. FPA had ongoing reflections on how to align on the unmet pediatric needs and developed several pragmatic proposals for improving the handling of the PIP applications that we are eager to discuss in detail. Unfortunately, there have been some delays that were triggered by the Brexit-related move of the agency and the ongoing pandemic that unexpectedly have drawn the attention and the regulatory resources away from the pediatric topic. But uh, overall, I think we are ready to contribute with our knowledge and expertise in developing innovative products. And we are ready to play our part in all the multi-stakeholder efforts to further improve the pediatric ecosystem that we can all achieve better outcomes for our children. So don't reinvent the wheel. It really is working, this regulation. It really has delivered results, uh, but it could do even better. Implementation could be even more effective and dialogue is the key way forward if we are to achieve that. Angelica, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And thank you to all of you for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button and be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and review. 
Until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye.